Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 228. You got Chris and Brian, and we're going to talk about a recent pistol training thing we did, um, focused on kind of tightening things up at speed um, with some penalties for getting things wrong um, mm-hmm. in our final drill. So yeah, make sure people got to work out. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, if we could this time, in in as a general rule of thumb, our progression for the training nights that we do. Um, that stuff that you've set up, the progression matters, how the order that you do the drills in matter. Um, and so I want to run through real quick to give everybody kind of, uh, the idea of what we did from a perspective of what the progression was. What, what, what were the drills? What did we do? Yeah. So I'm just going to run through the whole, kind of the whole night. Um, we did trigger control at speed at five yards. We did that about five times. Mm-hmm. Um, then we did two or three or maybe four rounds of doubles yep. at five yards uh, with the expectation that people with the doubles sort of figure out how fast they could go and guarantee the upper half of the A zone yep. on a USPSA American target. So from the bottom of the letter A to the top of the A zone, yeah, it's kind of the, hey, your bullets need to stay in this this square box. Well, and tactically, um, tactically on tissue where you'd want to see the yeah. probably the optimal place for the bullets to go in the in the thorax. Yeah, and we went back to ten yards uh, again to trigger control at speed, about five times at ten yards. Um, again, three or four sets of doubles mm-hmm. um, at ten yards with that. You know, maybe the first set of doubles or the second set of doubles kind of let the wheels fall off a little bit. Mm-hmm and then work on tightening it down so that you were inside that upper A zone. Uh, And then after that, uh, we set up no-shoot targets. So we took USPSA targets, flipped them around uh, so that you had the white side for contrast, and then turned them upside down, and then placed that at the bottom of the letter A. Um, So there was now a no-shoot target covering up the bottom half of the A zone and then the rest of the target. Uh, and with the expectation that any hits on the no shoot were 10 air squats uh, per per hit uh, and then we shot the Blake drill like right about seven yards uh, we did that probably what five six times yeah, per shooter more, yeah more than a few times yeah uh, so that's two two hits on each of three targets uh, kind of as fast as you can go uh-huh. and then uh, kept that array set up and I guess those were those were a little wide those are probably two yards apart maybe two and a half yards apart instead of you know less than a yard apart Um, then kept those where they were and set up two other targets um, one of them with a no shoot one of them open and those were I don't know there's what between the shooting positions like 10 yards ish yeah ish maybe something like that yeah Yeah. and then those were at I don't know somewhere between five and seven yards again yeah uh, so there's a little bit of movement in kind of the final exercise. Yeah. Uh, but again, kind of pushing that balance of speed and controllability uh, and accountability. Yes. Particularly on the rounds fired. And stacking um, skills on each. Stacking yeah. skills on each one. Each one of those drills stacked on top of the next one. Um, and so we talk about, you know, we talked about building a training night. We talked about doing planning for training and all those different things. This this is a great example of of those skills starting off with not necessarily a warm-up just a drill onto a drill onto a drill onto a drill that all the skills all stack on top of each other um you know a good progression um if if at any one of those points you know something was out of reach for you then it kind of trips you up for the rest of it 
but the reality check was for I don't think for our group none of that stuff's out of reach. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of stacking it on top of each other and stacking it on top of each other and stacking it on top of each other um, and pushing. So and and it was again the progression matters in how you see the foundational stuff work with the more advanced stuff. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So cool, cool. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about it. Um, trigger controlled speed. Trigger controlled speed's a no brainer because you can do it with or without bullets. Um, you know, I don't know, you guys. We've talked about this before. This is all in. Is is the trigger controlled speed in the book? Yeah, it should be in Practical Shooting Training, okay. which is the white book yeah. from Ben Steger and Jill Park that came out, what, about two years ago? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and all you're doing is starting aimed in on the target, sights lined up with where you want the bullet to go, small spot on the target. We took a small piece of one-inch by one-inch tape to make it visible kind of mentality. Um, you're starting out aimed in, finger on the trigger, but not pressed. So the trigger's all the way out, but you're touching it, and you're trying to outrun the beep. When you hear the beep, drop the shot as quickly as you can without screwing up your sights yep. or moving the gun around, but drop the shot fast, trigger control at speed. So you're trying to go fast and you're trying to get the shot off before the beep's over. The beep's about three tenths of a second. Your reaction time is probably 2025. So it should be doable or really, really, really freaking close. Um, and when you're, when you hear the shots go off, there should still be a little bit of beep ringing after the shot. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of mentality. And you're just doing one shot. Um, you do that there, do that, off the trigger and then do that and, and we uh, we didn't for these we just did it because we only did it five times we just did it from yeah. touching the trigger um and then you can do that same drill off the trigger and then all the way out to the trigger guard um and i would opine that you could even try and do it from like that index high on the side of the gun kind of thing it's just more movement um yeah. you know and go from there but what you're trying to do is get that beep quick shot um you know without messing things up you're training your trigger finger to move fast without training your hand to flex and move the gun. Yeah, and when the trigger finger moves fast, it's moving straight to the rear. Yeah, um, move fast properly. Yeah. Move fast properly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not just move fast. Um, so the interesting thing with this, um, most, uh, the, uh, ha it was pretty split because about half the guys have no issues doing this. Um, every once in a while I go full potato. This is one of the first things we did and I was turtling and gripping way too hard with my right hand and I healed it took a couple shots, but I healed one of them and pushed it about four inches high. The rest of them were fine. Um, but it's just interesting what you see. Again, all these drills tell you something. If the bullet doesn't go where you want it to go on paper or the sights don't go where you want them to go in dry fire, because I promise you, had I been shooting dry fire at a light switch in my house doing dry fire, that I would have seen the sights come up and been like, whoa, wrong hand. Um, yep. and it's just putting too much input with the, with the strong hand and, and not overriding it with the weak hand. But the problem is when you start putting too much input with the strong hand, you, I still don't think you can override it with the weak hand. You can't. You can't, yeah. I mean, you just can't do it. You know, when you start gripping the crap out of it with both hands, your strong hand's going to probably overdrive the, the weak hand and go from there. So anyway, so that, that popped up for a few of us, uh, had a few guys pulling to the right, uh, which was odd. Um, pulling to the right, I don't know if that's finger on the trigger, someplace wrong, or I still think it's right hand input. Yeah, it's definitely right hand yeah. input. Um, I've had had this issue a couple uh, training thing I did a couple weeks ago, uh, and actually rotating the strong hand counterclockwise. Okay. By I don't know five degrees, a little, in, just a little bit into the trigger guard. Into the trigger okay. guard. Okay. Um, yeah, going into the trigger guard, kind of made the finger fit on the trigger, the so it was more straight back. Okay. 
and then also gave a little bit more space for the support hand to actually get on the, the frame of the gun. Okay. One of the things that we you know we talked about in the past is is how you break down your grip, and I'm not going to get into grip today because it could be it's it's its own podcast over and over again. Um, but one of the things that we talked about breaking down grip is getting the gun aligned with skeletal structure in the wrist uh, and with the bone structure in the arm, etc. For a couple of things, for for index pointability, whatever you want to call it, um, but for index. Um, I, I do think that, that there's a little bit of this, like there's been this school of thought here over the last few years where somebody brings a Sharpie to class and they mark your hand and it's got to go in this exact spot. I, I, don't, I don't know that it's a matter of it has to go in this exact spot so much as it has to go in whatever spot you choose consistently. Bingo. Okay. It's probably the big <clears throat> deal, right? Because yeah. you have a lot larger hands than I do. You can yeah. freaking palm a volleyball. Uh, or palm a basketball probably, and I have a hell of a time palming a tennis ball. So, you know, there's this reality check around where your hand rides on the gun might be slightly different than me, but we've got to be consistent in getting to that spot if we want to shoot from index or if we want to recover from recoil quickly and find the sites where they're supposed to be naturally and not have to fight the gun. Yeah. It's critical, and I, that's one of the things that I think the, that, that comes up in this conversation when you start doing trigger control at speed. You start finding... Maybe you need to tweak your grip just to skosh. One or the other, but it's probably going to be your strong hand grip, and then you need to back off of it. And I think that the trigger control at speed lets you train yourself to not overgrip with your strong hand. Definitely. I think it's good for that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then when you're know, going from trigger control at speed into doubles. Yep. Um, doubles is where you find out if that same grip is durable. Yeah. And if you can apply the trigger twice in a row very quickly. And if you're, and we did it coming out of the holster, so there's, is it repeatable as well, and durable, yeah. both. So repeatable being, can I get my hand in the same place on the gun from the holster and get it up uh, on the target? But then, will it stay where I need it to stay? Can I hold onto the gun long enough? And that's probably more of a weak hand, or weak, weak hand, offhand, whatever issue, whatever you want to call it, support hand issue. Yeah. Um, am I, you know, am I holding onto it tight enough? Um, and then the doubles actually punching two at a time at that distance um, gives you, you know, confirmation that you're doing all those things right from the draw and then also consistently down the road. So again, that's that progression and it really, I think it really popped in this set of drills. Yeah. It, like, Hey, if you're not doing any one of these, it's going it, to look at the, look at your target. It's telling you what you need yeah. to know, look at it, make whatever adjustments you need to make and fix it. And so, yeah, yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. I think one of the other things, um, this particular time we shot doubles, there was really a focus on like both rounds need to be in a much smaller target area. Yeah. I think than what we've ever pushed people towards before. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, really realistically, like if you're shooting doubles, especially at five yards, 10 yards, mm -hmm. like you're chasing a tennis ball to a softball size group. Yes. Uh, softball size on the, on the larger end. Um, you know, ideally like tennis ball size. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes, really makes a difference when it's all of a sudden now, hey, like there's something I can't shoot, yeah. be that, you know, an actual hostage, you know, a no shoot in training, a tuxedo target yeah, um, in competition or whatnot. But being able to, to put those rounds where they need to go with confidence on demand. Consistently, consistently, consistently. Yeah. So, yeah. And one of the things I, I know a couple guys express, because we always kind of do a, 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 a debrief or an after action of our training nights and one of the things that i think a lot of guys at, at five yards you know you're this this should be super simple um and it really shouldn't be a big deal i was shooting a 365 xl which is a pretty small gun 
and and just a I'm gonna say five hundredths of a second of patience. Yeah. Letting the gun come back down. I pushed a few shots high. And and part of that was over gripping with the right hand, being too tense. And that sounds counterintuitive to say, oh, you're shooting too fast. No, I was trying to muscle the gun and wasn't just do, do my proctor, let let it do. Just mm-hmm. just let it do. And just a little bit of patience. And and so we had a discussion around that too, which we just had with you guys in the podcast. Um, you know, adding on five hundredths or honestly even a tenth in splits. Um, is is not where you're going to lose the day, whether it's a gunfight or whether it's it's a match or whatever, um, at, at our level. Now, at a master class or GM, okay, yeah, a tenth is going to maybe be ugly. But when you start talking about that, the place to make up that is in transition target to target and in movement and stuff like that. So dropping your splits off and relaxing enough to stay within your capabilities, whether that's your grip or your vision, I don't care yeah. which, to stay or your ability to drive the trigger, just that little bit of patience, because when I loosened up, got the back loose, stopped trying to muscle the gun, turtle everything up and whatnot, and took a deep breath. The other thing it did is I was when you're got tension in your shoulders. I have I have a I have a quad rotator cuff tear right now that I'm dealing with that's reared its ugly head again. And when I, the first run, I was all tensed up. It freaking hurt. Um, curiously enough, when I realized what the hell I was doing and settled down and tried to focus all the tension in your forearms and your hands gripping the gun and relax the shoulders it still didn't feel good but i could drive it a whole lot better i mean i struggled yeah. the whole night but I, I i was in legitimate pain <laughs> on that first run mm-hmm. so yeah so working your way through that right just something else to learn you know yeah. each individual person's got their own crosses to bear and fat to drag around or whatever it is so yeah yeah cool okay um so doubles into um the blake drill with yeah. partially occluded or partial no shoots yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So I mean, Blake drill three targets, side by side, same yard line. Yeah. Um, think if you do it by the book, targets should be about a yard apart or we whatnot. Were, yeah, we were probably a little wider we were, than that. We were definitely two. Yeah, closer yeah. To about two yards. Um, we were seven seven yards ish from the yeah. middle target. Yeah. Um, really simple drill. Uh, first guy did it in four point zero one. And then did it clean at 4.01, and that kind of became the, the de facto, unofficial part time. The de facto par, yeah. So if you were above that, then it was 10 air squats. If you hit any of the no shoots, it was 10, 10 air squats per no shoot hit or per hole in a no shoot. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was there was a good workout for there, a bunch of there people. Was, there were squats. Squatting was done. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, uh, the, uh, the Blake drill doesn't normally have occluded targets. Correct. Right, so the first target was not occluded. The second two had a no shoot, like you said, from the bottom of the A down. Yeah. Um, for the the no shoot, the, the hostage target, um, and so one of the things that we observed when we talked about this before the podcast in preparation a little bit, um, you know, some of the guys were running on that first target, choosing to shoot the non-occluded target first, which whatever, that's fine. So um, just about everybody for this went yeah. left to right with the the open target and then the two occluded targets. Exactly. And and so when you when you look at that, there's a lot of the guys are coming up and they're shooting upper A zone because we again we had that tape mark, that upper A zone mm-hmm. above the A, halfway between the A and the stitch line at the top of the A, um, and shooting that little piece of marker tape. A lot of guys were coming up and doubling that, no big deal. And then as soon as they went to the other target, they were trying to cheat a little bit high to stay off the no shoot 
and were hitting maybe one shot close to where they wanted to, but then pull, then pushing one high, trying to outrun things and trying to game it a little bit. And it was just interesting to observe that if they'd done what they did on the first target three times in a row and just ignored the no-shoot, they probably would have been faster, cleaner, less Cs, more As. Oh, yeah. You know, all the above. It was just interesting. And so we talked about that from a confidence perspective, and that's what that is, is it's a mind game. Um, and the only way to overcome that is lots and lots and lots of success overcoming that. And so going out and putting the reps in, doing small target zones, knowing that when you step up, then someone says, hey, this should be in the tennis ball, and you're putting them on the tennis ball, but then they put a no-shoot there and you modify your behavior, the no-shoot really shouldn't change anything if you were able to do what you should have been doing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a little lesson learned there, you know, this the guys that do this extremely well do it a lot. Yeah. They do it a lot. And they're, you know, they, you look at them and you go, man, you didn't even blink. You went straight at that. And it's like, uh, yeah, because I'm shooting for a quarter or a golf ball or a tennis ball and you gave me a volleyball. So, yeah, I'm going to go fast. And so we're back to, you know, we're back to whatever you leave on the table, your opponent's going to eat. So don't yeah. don't leave it on the table. In this case, it was time and a little bit of accuracy. So Yeah, one of the other things we briefed was that you should be shooting for A's. Uh, so a, number, a couple of guys kind of tried to go direct to like, oh, well, the, the head's open. Yeah. So I'm just going to go for the head. But it was kind of anything in the head as opposed to yeah. putting rounds on the credit card. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of that, you know, if you're shooting in competition, hit factor scoring takes place. Um, yeah. Hitting A zones are worth five points. Yeah. C zones are worth three points with nine millimeter and minor, minor power factor scoring. Yeah. Math stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the idea that, oh, I'll just shoot the head. Well, that was kind of people guaranteeing they were going to get two Cs yeah. versus, you know, the A box, the upper A zone is the size of the head yeah. and it's all worth five points. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't, wasn't a reason not to shoot, you know, two rounds into the upper A. Yeah. Because uh, you could hit the head anywhere, then you could put two rounds into that upper A box. Just as faster, faster. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, and so like I said, that and 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 these like I said, these were all things we briefed afterwards. Um, it would have been nice to have to kind of put that together in the middle of it and say, hey, you just did this, and I, I think, think that did. came up once that, or twice like, after the first. Yeah, the first guy went or in the yeah. middle of the first shooter. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, we're not. I think I think most of our group doesn't automatically think in terms of hit factor scoring. No, or scorable zones. No. on targets. Matter of fact, I would be willing to bet that two thirds of our group couldn't articulate what hit factor scoring means. True. To Very any true. to any specificity, they go well. Yeah, more accurate, faster. Okay, blah 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 blah. But to to sit down and say point value, and to be able to weigh that out, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, speed matters. Yeah, speed matters. Um, but you can't take accuracy off the table. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anything else with that? Yeah, this is a really good drill to um, dry fire. Okay. Be that Blake drill is either open or doing the occluded targets um, mm -hmm. would be really good. You know, if you're looking to gain this kind of confidence and you can't necessarily do it at the range where you're at, um, mm -hmm. you can do a lot of this in dry fire. Just be accountable of what you're seeing in the sights. Yeah. Um, but the Blake drill as a dry fire exercise is a really good bang for your buck kind of thing because uh, you're getting a draw stroke and then six trigger presses and two target transitions and 
you know, honestly, like three sec under three seconds, you know, if you're dry firing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the amount of work you can do compared with how long it takes to reholster and reset and all that kind of stuff is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's honestly, yeah, I mean, if you look at like a draw to one shot, the amount of time it takes to reset yeah. versus doing a Blake drill, um, you get pretty much the other five shots and the two transitions for free. Yeah. Um, compared with just doing a draw in one shot kind of dry fire routine. I also think that from a dry fire perspective, this is something that's modifiable. For me, trying to go too fast, my second shot always ends up high. So to switch this around and put the no shoot on top of the target and then push this hard um, and get the reps in seeing it visually, even in dry fire, would probably be a really good thing for me to do. I know I'm not getting the recoil to settle down from, but to go through and push it and visually make sure that I'm staying under that A zone line. I mean, in, in the real world, I don't really care if my shot goes out of the A zone and goes to maybe the base of the neck or something like that. Still a good hit place for a shot until people start moving, I start moving, yeah. the bad guy starts moving, etc. <clears throat> then you start getting up around the neck, or you missing the neck and hitting the nunner from behind. Because it's going over the shoulder. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So that, you know, bigger box to stay within with that C-zone error is still a good hit on a bad guy to some extent yeah. if it's a close C. So, you know, understanding that and looking at that, but if you have something that you do, like if you, if you consistently are pushing left, you're consistently pushing right, you know, change your grip, but then also confirm it and maybe put that no shoot and live fire too, put that no shoot in a different place where you generally go to to make your mistake and, and then fix it so that you're not going yeah. there. Or do a lot of squats. Your legs will get big. You'll get swole. So. Cool. Yeah. Other thing to consider would be using um, USPSA metric targets, yeah. which are that shield design uh, that don't have the visible head area. Yeah. Uh, and then the A zone actually tapers towards the top. Uh, yeah. So it those, those will take you for a ride um, visually if yeah. you're not used to shooting them. Yeah. 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 That's an odd target. So, yeah. Um, cool. So from this, then we pushed into adding some actual physical foot movement and a couple of other targets. Again, as you mentioned before yeah. in the preview, you know, one, one occluded partially and one not. Um, and so, you know, we started initially, we started on the Blake drill firing those six rounds and then transitioning and moving 90 degrees across the range. Um, you know, and, and watching, you know, where's your gun at maintaining 180 because we are in an artificial environment where 180 matters. Uh, so setting targets up and, and another barrel up to move to. And like you said, with us pushing, you know, six, seven, eight yards, something like that and doing, um, you know, two hits, two hits again, but just two different targets. Um, yeah. and getting people, you know, there were, we're getting, we're back to the movement thing that we've seen in the past. And this, you know, this sounds like broken record ish, uh, but guys coming into where they want to shoot from without the gun being up and then punching the gun out and doing some different things that just weren't as efficient. Um, some guys coming in hot and not breaking early enough. Yeah. Um, you got some big, strong dudes who can move well, uh, but they're not used to doing it. So figuring out where to hit the brakes is a different conversation. And their version of movement is, uh, you know, the one gentleman mentioned, you know, the, the, the movement thing for him is not a competition movement kind of conversation. It's, it's a lot more choreographed and controlled movement, shoot house kind of stuff, military mount and shoot house kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so this is a little bit different thing for him. So he was, you know, kind of figuring out how hard to go, where to hit the brakes, et cetera. And 10 yards is far enough to get you up to enough speed to get you in trouble to not stop in time, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, and, and not be, you know, so you just learn what you're doing there. Um, and then others, you know, some of the other guys go fast and are used to going fast and can go fast and can, you know, are almost, almost sliding into second, you know, kind of mentality as they come up, but the gun's up ready to go. Um, 
I, I don't know that we saw anything different from a accuracy perspective or we, we still saw the same the same people punching holes in the you know in the don't in the don't shoot me target yeah um, and I think it's attributable to the exact same reasons I don't know that necessarily throwing movement into that changed it a whole lot because from a movement perspective every time somebody moved they chose to go to the big target first yeah yeah so yeah so maybe we saw a couple more misses on or a couple more not A's on the big target because again they were supposed to be upper A's maybe we saw a couple more not A's on there but I don't think the wheels really fell off for anybody on that. Yeah, I'd say there were maybe a few people that didn't reestablish their grip as well as they could have yep. once they transitioned targets. Yeah. Um, and then also kind of coming into a solid shooting position from a forward standpoint. Yeah. Sometimes it's just stopping and then shooting versus yeah. stopping into you know a good shooting position with the feet. Yeah. Because uh, that, that stuff's kind of... It matters when you're trying to shoot very aggressively, having that stable platform underneath you. Yes. Um, yeah, and then there was also the, well, I didn't move as fast as I wanted to, so I'm gonna try to shoot faster to make up for it. Yeah. And then in doing that kind of shot outside their skill level. Yeah. Uh, especially on that second shot per target. Um, yeah. That's where people started putting rounds into the no shoots. Um, there's also kind of the, that immediate you know, if you shot the no shoot on the second target, you definitely heard about it. Probably by the time you started to shoot the third target, let alone <laughs> the yep. fourth or the fifth. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was no gravel throwing, but but there was a lot of jeering. There was going. definitely the peanut, a lot of the peanut gallery was wound up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, like I said, are you just putting stacking skills on top of each other, stacking yeah. you know stuff on top of that foundation and and pressing through. Um, you know, and you wind up to where you get some movement involved in things and, and whatnot. And, you know, probably, you know, there's a couple of the things we could have added, you know, maybe at some point, you know, maybe this drill turns into two barrel stacked and using cover, um, or something like that, you know, um, or, or just visual, you know, breakup. That was probably something that we didn't have a lot of yeah. was chasing stuff around some visual barriers and using some. So that's an addition you could do to this drill at, on top of this would be to have some kind of visual barriers. You're moving from one yeah. target to the other. Maybe one of them's occluded visually and you've got to move around that barrier to shoot that target or something like that. Yeah. You know, you could pile on top of this yet further if you wanted to. Yeah. The other thing to do um, is to actually shoot it all open and then do that yeah. three, four times, whatever. You know, take the average of those times and then use that as your part time. Yep. And then put the occlusions on or the, you know, the no shoot on some of the targets. Yeah. And then be able to match or exceed the part time on the open targets. Yeah. Because uh, that'll that'll kind of reinforce whether you're going as fast as you should be, uh, or if you're artificially slowing down yeah. um, because of the no shoot targets. Yeah, and if you can shoot it, if you can shoot it predictively open and stay in the upper A zone, then you can shoot it predictively with partials and stay in the upper A zone. It, you know, and again, we're back to that confidence aspect of it, but putting it to the timer puts the proof in the pudding. It really yeah. shows you, hey, I, you know, it, it lets your buddies go, dude, you just did it the other way. Run it, you know, push it, run it hard. And that that's something I think we're seeing more and more of because as, as guys get into a, into a place where using the methodology, uh, you know, the physical methodology of running the gun um, and the visual aspect of it are, are figuring out now that they really do need to kind of take the training wheels off every few runs and push things so that they can 
hit the brakes and see where they need to come back to. Yeah. And that's, again, we talked about that in the last podcast, finding out where you're breaking down, how to get faster, you know, get solid, good foundational stuff, good foundational stuff, but then occasionally take the training wheels off, hammer it, see where it breaks up, and then use that information, that data as feedback, put it in the loop and get better. And I think the loop keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter on the feedback. Yeah. For us, for our group. So yeah, yeah. to go back to the doubles drill for a moment, um, one of the guys normally shoots either staccato or a kind of a pimped out G nineteen. Yeah. It was shooting a three sixty five XL with a dot on it. Yeah. Um, for this particular event. Uh, when we were shooting doubles, it was kind of the okay, if you can shoot the nineteen, they call it ninety percent of the pace you can shoot the staccato. Yeah. Then the three sixty five XL is maybe just a slight bit slower than the 19 yeah and then it was like oh okay yeah yeah and that, that, um, back to that to run, patience yeah trying yeah. to run the you know the 365 xl as fast as as the staccato uh especially on the splits it like it wasn't quite working yeah um but i mean way different trigger a lot lighter gun yeah less uh, grip less grip less mass in the slide um, you know, yeah. Yeah, less spring in the slide. So yeah. for the for the guys that change guns, you know, between competition, self defense, or duty, um, or just like to play with a different gun every time they go to the range. Yeah, you know, knowing what you can do on each platform becomes really important when you're super accountable for what you're doing yes. with the gun you're shooting. Yes, and that was something that that's absolutely the you know the similar experience that I had was you know running. I can I normally run a G19 and I can run a G19 a skosh faster than the P365. I don't feel like the P365 is a disadvantage. I feel like I have to learn to be just a little more patient with that gun. But otherwise, it it's it's similar enough that yeah. I don't think I'm going to have a problem with that as a summertime gun. Um, it won't be something where I likely switch back and forth a lot between them though, because for me it's more about what the weather's like from how I dress. And so I you know I don't it's it's never been really a big deal for me to carry a 19 except when it's really nasty, hot, and humid out over the summer. So it's probably off and on for about two or three months where the P365 is, is super desirable from a comfort perspective. Oh, yeah. And I don't think I'm, <laughs> I don't feel, the more I shoot it, the more I don't think I'm giving up much to use it. Um, it but I also kind of make that, I'm, I want to, I'll probably make that transition here in the next 30 days or so back to the 19 slash 45 and start running the big gun again for the winter because it's just too easy to run. Yeah. So, but yeah, you definitely got to have a little bit of patience um go into a platform that's just not quite as physically fast you know for that reason so, yeah yep and uh, then on the a couple call it mat, match mentality things on the movement part of the stage or movement part of the night mm -hmm. uh, we had the blake drill set up on call it the right hand side of the exercise yeah and then the other two targets over on the left hand side of the exercise mm -hmm. uh so the two of the three times uh, we started with the blake drill and it was kind of you shot that part, went over to the left, and then started on the left and came back. Yeah. And then we did it one more time. So you started on the right and then went over to the left. Uh, most people shot the Blake drill from left to right. Mm -hmm. uh, so open target to the two occluded targets and then had to run to the left. Yeah. Uh, versus starting on the rightmost target, going, shooting that one that had the no shoot, shooting the middle one with the no shoot shooting the open target and then driving to the left. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking at this from a competition perspective, uh, I would say the correct way to shoot it is actually to start on the right. Yeah. Uh, just realize you gotta be perfect with the draw out of the holster yeah. on that no shoot target. 
you can then start to leave the position um, on that open target mm -hmm. and we're moving we're swinging our upper body weight in the direction we need to move yep uh, so we got some inertia helping us along and then you know we get to over to the left side uh, I think everybody did it correctly where we decelerated into the open target mm -hmm. and then shot the you know the the no sheet target uh, but that was one of the interesting things kind of to watch yeah and not something that our group really pays any attention to um, but if you are doing you know USPSA or IDPA competitions gaining you know there's three four five tenths of a second on yeah. stuff like that does start to matter especially when you get into the spicy end it adds up of who shows up um, for the day yeah and then on the way back uh, you know shooting going to that open target um, shooting the no shoot target or I guess the hostage target hostage target yeah whatever. hostage the one with the yeah. no shoot on it yeah the hostage target we'll call it a hostage um, you know those were left to right in that order yeah and then decelerating again into the open target and then shooting the two occluded or two partials yeah um whatnot but yeah thinking about that kind of stuff does start to matter um once you're committing to you know to shooting the shooting the practical shooting sports yes um uh, and trying to try to break that kind of stuff down uh when you get up to a drill or up to a stage yeah. um, certain certainly things to think about and i'd like to point out that it wasn't you couldn't tell that i actually did that because i'm so ridiculously slow um and perform so poorly but i did actually shoot the the blake from right to left um partially for that reason and partially because there's a part of me that says almost every gun i've ever shot has a, a vertical recoil component but also generally has some push to the left because they eject to the right to some extent even if it's fairly minute if you take any of the guns that we shoot and hold them as loosely as you can hold them and pull the trigger, you will notice a torsional movement of the front sight to the left as the gun fires. So I, I tend, I don't know why, I just tend to think it's easier to ride recoil right to left. And I know we're so used to doing everything as an English writing left speaking right. society, yeah. as a left to right <laughs> society. Um, and I wonder if maybe it's easier for somebody who speaks Chinese to shoot top to bottom or bottom to top or whatever. I don't know, but there's a conversation around that, riding the recoil, in some of the drills, but then way more importantly to what you stated, if I'm moving to my left, I would rather shoot right to left than move to my left and just why not follow along rather than have to recover from moving left to right, then go left. Yeah. Uh, little bitty things that all make a big difference when you start breaking this stuff down from a stage prep perspective, um, but always thinking about efficiency and you know maybe you don't apply the same efficiency to a gunfight, that's fine, but having it to where it's almost automatic in your hip pocket is going to show up other places efficiency is efficiency find it where you can and then apply it to tactics yeah yeah, yeah. so yep yeah that was it like i said i the progression was good the drills were good it was all um it, it shouldn't have been as challenging as it was but it was still challenging and it was good stuff but i like i said i think i think the challenge was literally between the years definitely the challenge was literally yeah. between the years so yeah fun night so cool yep uh, on that note, as we come across interesting things, um, they get posted up to our social media. You can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, we're Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we are Cap City Outfitters 2. On our website, capcityoutfitters.com, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. Also on the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out on Fridays 
or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Then we're here in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. We are in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. We're here 10 to 5 Tuesday through Friday and 10 to 3 on Saturdays. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in.